Well, dear church family, this Lord's Day, we'll be thinking of Moses smiting the rock at Horeb, literally striking the rock at Horeb. And we'll be thinking of the significance of this wonderful grand occasion. And notice the narrative in today's chapter, Exodus 17. As mentioned earlier, it begins with and. It begins with and, Exodus 17, 1. And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness. The word and, like I mentioned earlier, connects this passage to the previous chapter, chapter 16. And so it's important that we get the full context here. And so too, chapter 16 also begins with the word and, linking it and connecting it to the closing verses of chapter 15. And so it reminds us, does it not, that every single word of God is important. Nothing is trivial, even the the word and. These connecting ands give us really a full picture of the context today in Moses smiting the rock at Horeb in Exodus 17. Remember, it was only literally a matter of weeks before the Lord delivered the children of Israel from bondage, from Pharaoh, from being slaves in Egypt, and from a life of uh, slavitude and bondage. And through the Red Sea, it was a great deliverance. And at the end of chapter 15, verse 22, we were told that Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And so straight away, straight as they were delivered, as it were, from the Red Sea, this great deliverance, for three days they went out into the wilderness and they uh, found no water. And at Marah the waters were bitter. And we are told that the people, the people murmured against Moses. And remember, this is three days, literally after such a great deliverance. And there they are, as it were, murmuring and complaining against uh, Moses, uh, where you would have thought that they would have cried to the Lord. They would have prayed to the Lord after all that he had done thus far. And they complained and they did not cry to the Lord. Moses, in fact, cried and prayed to the Lord. And Moses, of course, uh, the Lord showed Moses that tree and that that specific tree and, and Moses threw it into the waters and the waters were made sweet. And we know, of course, the significance of that, what it points us to, the cross. Well, it's sad to say that these things were done, as Scripture tells us in Exodus 15 and verse 25 and many other passages, to prove what was in their hearts, whether they would walk by faith in God's covenanted promises or not, or whether they would walk by sight as it were. These things were to humble them, to prove what was in thine heart, whether they would trust in the Lord and walk by faith. 
And furthermore, as we read earlier in chapter 16, like I mentioned, it begins with an and again. And they took their journey from Elim and so on into the wilderness between Elim and Sinai. And how now would they handle this second test of faith? How would they handle this test, this proving of what's in their heart, especially after the experience at the bitter waters of Marah and before that uh, and the Red Sea? They thirst at Marah and now the Lord would prove them through hunger. They would be, be now proved with hunger. And one would think, would they not, as they were led uh, into the wilderness, through to the, the promised land, as it were, once again, that they would immediately turn to the Lord for their daily bread. And they would cry to the Lord and pray to him after all his wondrous works, after all that he had promised them to satisfy their hunger. But instead of doing this, the whole congregation of the children of Israel, we are told in Exodus 16:2, murmured, against Moses and Aaron. They complained once again. And not only this, but they spoke against God. They questioned God's faithfulness concerning his promises and his provision. And as we read earlier in Psalm 78, which gives us a history of this, David, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says in Psalm 78, 19, yea, they spake against God, they said, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? They questioned God's word. They questioned his faithfulness. They questioned if God could furnish food for them in the wilderness. And yet, notwithstanding their ingratitude and their blatant unbelief and impatience, the Lord came to their relief and aid and rained down bread from heaven. Man did eat angels' food. And now this is something really, I wanted to take, go through this, because this is something of the full context of uh, leading up to the smiting of the rock. Uh, in verse 17, their dependence upon God is being tested here. Whether they would trust in the Lord and his promises by faith or whether they would walk by sight again and their hearts would be in Egypt again and trust in man's word. What would they do? Would they trust in God's promises and walk by faith or would they limit the most holy one of Israel? Well, according to Psalm 78, again, verse 22, it's clear that they were not trusting in the Lord's Salvation, they were not trusting and walking by faith. These connecting and linking ands give us the context that really demonstrates to us no one can point the finger at Israel here, the children of Israel, because what it does is it demonstrates to us the hardness of the natural man's heart, even under great and wonderful providences and privileges, and means. That's what it teaches us. Even the means, the many means and blessings that God can give us. But equally, 
They show to us this Lord's Day, do they not? The wonderful mercy and forbearance and long-suffering and patience of the Lord to such unthankful sinners as us to bring all of us rebels to true repentance and faith. Well, the scene set before us in chapter 17 brings Israel once again face to face with a trial of faith. Faith, remember, which the Lord gives. It's a gift. Always is proved, is it not? It must be exercised, faith. And this time it was not food which they lacked. It was water. And those who genuinely want to be led by the Lord God and seek first the kingdom of God must expect at times, dear friends, to encounter that which is displeasing to the flesh and the old nature. The path of faith is a path of proving and trial. And I can quote many proof texts and scriptures. There are many of them. But perhaps just one, 1 Peter 1.7, teaches us that saving faith is always tried with fire. It's always tried with fire, often circumstantial fire. Well, how would Israel fare this time in Exodus 17? Would they continue to limit the Most High God, their Maker, the Holy One of Israel? Would they forget his covenant promises, that holy promise he made to Abraham? We must remember that the Lord expressly commanded for them to journey to such places that seemingly there was bitter water and seemingly there was no water and no food. Well, why did he do that? Why did he command them to go to places in Exodus 17 where there was no water and no food and so on? Well, he who could part the Red Sea and make it stand up on a heap and make the children of Israel to walk through on dry ground and bring that water back down upon their enemies? Was this now too difficult for the Lord to furnish them in the wilderness? He who could turn the bitter waters of Marah into sweet waters and they all drank, is this now too difficult for the Lord? And he who could uh, provide manna from heaven and fowls through the wind, as were to blow right in the midst of the, of the camp. Are these things, is anything too difficult for the Lord? No, it's not, is it, friends? It is overwhelmingly obvious to me that these constant circumstantial trials were designed by the God of Israel, by the one true living God to wean them from reliance upon walking by sight, from man's ways, from walking by sight and not by faith, and walking according to this material world, as it were, that they must cast themselves finally, fully, upon Jehovah, the promise-keeping God, by faith, and utterly depend upon him, for man cannot live by bread alone. They must believe in their supernatural God that he can provide by faith all their needs. Well, it's with stunning sadness that we see in Exodus 17 too, the children of Israel's continued unbelief and distrust of God. Verse 2 says, 
Wherefore the people did chide with Moses. Now they're not only murmuring, as it were, under their lips, as it were, complaining, silently murmuring, gossiping. Now they are full on chiding with Moses. Now they're scolding, as it were, and reproving with anger and uh, blaming them and bringing in their children and their cattle. You've brought us here to die, as it were, and to kill our children. They're scolding. They've moved on from murmuring now to flat-out anger, reproving God's messengers and blaming them. To the point where in verse 4, Moses said, they almost be ready to stone me. And surely one of the things that we can learn from such an account, once again, is the natural man's unvarying tendency of heart to distrust God. It's, it's telling of the natural man's unvarying tendency to distrust God, to, ne- to not want to walk by faith despite the many privileges and the means given and the promises given. By chiding with Moses and scorning, quite frankly, God's directing and God's guiding and God's provision for them, they called into question God's faithfulness concerning his holy promise he made to Abraham. Hebrews 3.12 speaks of this history And warns us, there's many passages I can speak of, but Hebrews 3.12 says, Take heed, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Well, when when was it that the Lord would come to their relief and aid? Was it when Israel was bowed down before the Lord in humble, in humble repentance, with a contrite heart? Was it then in dependence upon the Lord? No, it wasn't, was it, friends? Was it when they were praising and worshipping God for all his mercies thus far? It wasn't that either, was it, dear friends? In fact, the reverse, the opposite, is true. They were full of carnality, full of carnal rage and unbelief. Nevertheless, God remembered his holy promise which he made to Abraham, his servant concerning the Saviour. And Psalm 105, 42, we learn from that. God's remembered his covenant. God, You see, if men are unfaithful, if God provides all the means, and men are unfaithful to those means and privileges, God is yet faithful, dear friends. He will still save a people for himself. In verse 5 and 6, the Lord instructed Moses to strike, to smite the rock at Horeb. With the Lord standing before Moses upon the rock. And that same rod which was used to bring a curse upon the river Nile in Egypt. Remember that? Moses was to use in the sight of the elders of Israel. And Moses struck, he smit He smit the rockin, I can't say that word, smitten the rock and waters like a river gushed out of it into that that barren land. And we know that Christ, of course, was the reason why Christ 
was struck. The rock, Christ, was struck. And like I said, according to 1 Corinthians 10.4, that rock was Christ, from whence the living waters came out of the rock. And to whom did Christ come for, friends? Did he come for the thankful? Did he come for those, uh, to those who are supposedly holy, to those who are supposedly righteous? Did he come for those who are thankful to him? Well, according to the children of Israel, were they thus minded? Were they thankful? Were they supposedly uh, praising the Lord? No, they were not, were they? Not at all. Christ came into this world to save sinners, sinners in Israel and sinners to the Gentiles. He came to save sinners such as us. And uh, Luke 6.35 comes to mind, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. And so think not for a minute, dear congregation, that you and I in our natural state would fare any better. When we read passages like this, we think, well, if I were there, things would be different. Think not for one minute uh, that you would be in any different in your natural condition. Because Christ came not to save the righteous. He came to save sinners unto repentance. Those who know that they have lived and they have been unthankful to the Lord. Who have not kept God's ways. Who have fallen back as it were who have lived a life away from God, although we've had many, many means given and afforded to us. You see, friends, we too live within a dry and barren land, spiritually speaking. Don't be fooled, friends, by the greenery of a cultivated, civil, advanced culture. Don't be fooled for one second, friends. Those waters be bitter in, in the end. If lived, if lived for, friends, this, the things of this world, without faith and without Christ, it will prove in the end to be exceedingly bitter. The fact of the matter is that these hearts of ours, by nature, are all like a desert, barren wilderness. That's, that's the truth. In whom God is not well pleased in. He is not well pleased in. Our hearts by nature are hostile to God, like Israel was hostile to God and his messengers. Our hearts are like a desert, barren wilderness. They're uncultivated, as it were, spiritually speaking. They are hard and overgrown and unruly. They're like a desert wilderness, friends. Nothing of profit can grow in them besides the weeds of sin and unbelief. And a desert wilderness, friends, that are generally places that are inhabited, aren't there? There's not much growing in a desert, barren wilderness, is there? There's an emptiness, isn't there, friends? There's a void. And that, of course, is true of the unconverted person. There's an emptiness there. There's a void there. And this, of course, is true of all those who continue on in sin and unbelief, distrusting in the supernatural God of Israel, in whom we all have to do. The desert wildernesses of our hearts, friends, are not only barren, unprofitable places wherein very little spiritual life can even survive, they can also be very dangerous places, spiritually speaking, because there's no water there. 
There's no substance there. And I've got to tell you, friends, this Lord's Day, if you're living a life, a faithless life, without Christ and in mind of eternity to come, you're on very dangerous ground, spiritually speaking, very dangerous ground indeed. All it would take, friends, is a flash flood of God's providence to take away, all away, even your life into a dark, Christless eternity. And what will you build your life upon, friends, will really depend upon where you will spend eternity, whether upon the the rock, Christ, or whether upon the sinking sands of this world. What is your true foundation in life? And be sure that God will find out what's in thine heart to humble thee, to find out whether you're truly walking by faith in his promises or not. Well, Christ the rock is set before us here today as it was the children of Israel. The Lord, we know throughout Scripture, especially Old Testament Scripture, is often referred to as the rock. A rock, of course, is well known for its qualities, that it is strong and is secure and is durable and is stable. It cannot be easily shaken. It cannot be easily moved. It outlasts the storms of life. It can be hit with many, many storms. Many a vessel can crash upon it. And those vessels can crash and yet the rock will stay the same, as it were. And of course it can be a great, a great shelter from the blistering heat, as it were, and from the storms, as it were. And so Christ, friends, and of course his wonderful eternal promises to us, they can never change. They can never change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Those who put their faith, all their faith and trust in the Lord, dear friends, they have, they have a rock, a sure foundation. In our narrative today, the rock was to be struck as it were, this strong, sure foundation, this rock was to be struck. And this, of course, we know, speaks of the crucifixion and death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. And what spiritual eye, friends, cannot see, can, can fail to see that it was the Lord Jesus Christ who was smitten by the rod of divine justice, for our sins and our offences upon that cross. That it was the divine rod of God the Father who, who, was, who smit, who punished, as it were, the Son, not for anything that he did, but for all of our sins, all of our offences, all of our unthankfulness, all of our law-breaking. God the Father punished God the Son upon that cross. And no wonder why Isaiah 53's prophecy of Christ speaks of being smitten of God. Of course, it's fetching this language from this account. He was smitten of God. The Son was punished for our sins. He bore our sins upon that cross. And so the rod in the hands of Moses really is a symbol of judgment 
It's a symbol of judgment. Remember, this is the same rod that struck the river Nile and it turned into blood. That was a judgment upon, upon the gods of Egypt. That was a judgment upon them. It was the same rod which became a serpent it was, when it was cast to the ground, reminding us of the curse. It's a symbol of judgment. We are cursed with original sin. It doesn't matter how hard we try to try to keep the law of God, to live lives which are pleasing to God. We all fall way inadequately short of the glory of God. We all fall short of keeping the law of Moses, don't we? We murmur, yea, we chide under the weight of its righteousness and perfection. We cannot attain unto it. It's too high, as it were. But you see, friends, the Lord Jesus Christ never did. Because he is the son of the living God, is he not? Who lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. Always loving the Father, always thankful, always holy, never a bad thoughts, always honoring, always doing that which is good, always doing that which is right, always loving his neighbor, as it were. And yet divine judgment, the divine judgment and rod of God, as it were, came fully down upon the Holy One, upon the rock, as it were, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did it out of love, dear friends, for you and I. He did it out of love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It was done out of love, you see, dear friends, that we may have faith in him who bore our hell, who bore our sin, our law-breaking upon that cross. It, it was settled upon that cross, the just for the unjust to bring us rebels back to God. There's nothing left, friends, for you to do. There's nothing left for you to commend yourself before the holy God, before the supernatural maker. All that's left for you to do is to turn from your sin and your unbelief today and look to the rock of your salvation and be born again of the Holy Spirit of God. You must be born again. In Acts 2.18, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was said to be poured out like a river, like a river of water. The Holy Spirit was poured out. And when you believe, dear friends, that Jesus Christ died on that cross, he was punished upon that cross for not some of your sins, not your past sins, but all your sins, your past, your present, your future sins, your sins of thoughts, the things that you should have done and you haven't done. He, he died for, for it all. The, the complete and utter work of salvation is finished. And he, he died for every one of your sins to redeem you from the consequences of, of the law, your, our law breaking, our sin. We were born under the law. But Jesus Christ was born under the law to redeem us of the consequences of the law. A full redemption is available for you today if you truly, by faith, take hold upon the Lamb of God and you believe that he was struck, 
And with his blood you are cleansed. Every single one of your sins by the power of Christ's blood cleanses you from all sin. And the Holy Spirit will then be poured upon you. Not at a later stage, but upon belief in Christ. You'll receive the power of the Holy Spirit poured upon you. And there, therein you'll have a new heart to love God with. You'll be given a new heart. No longer a hard heart. No longer an uncultivated heart. It will be a prepared heart by the Holy Spirit. A believing heart. A heart that walks by faith. That takes hold upon his word. That loves his commandments. And that repents when we let the Lord down. As we all do. Even as believers. Because we've received the Holy Spirit. That water is flowing from the rock. And it is still flowing today, friends, into our hearts by faith. You too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit upon true repentance and faith. Jesus said in John 7, 37 and 38, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Are you thirsty today, friends? Not for the things of this world, but for the Lord. Are you thirsty? Do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Come. Come to the spring of life, Christ, and be born again. Verse 38, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. The Holy Spirit, the streams of grace, as it were. And yes, in a dry and barren land, you can know of that newness of life springing up in your heart and in your life that you may say with the psalmist, as it were, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. I don't, I don't need the, the vanities of this world anymore because he's my shepherd. He leads me besides the still waters. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Will I, why live a minute further, friends, upon the sinking sands of this world when you have such a saviour at hand, such a God of love and mercy who bore your hell and punishment upon the cross, who loved you and gave himself for you, the just for the unjust. Well, Christ is our eternal rock, friends, and he will be your strong foundation, your fortress to whom we will hide in the storms of life. Christ on the cross was the, was the tree that Moses cast into the bitter waters of unbelief, friends. And so look to the cross and see your maker die. See that substitute, as it were, that took your place upon that cross. And have that bitter unbelief turned into love and faith. And praise to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ was the manna come from heaven. Was he not? Man did eat angels' food. He was that manna of which if a man shall eat, he shall live. Well, we eat now by faith of Christ, the bread of life, and we shall live. Jesus Christ is the rock smitten for us, punished for all our sins and all our transgressions, dear friends. He took it and bore it upon the cross. 
And so that we are no longer under our sins, but we're under grace in Christ. Deuteronomy 8.2 comes to mind. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart. Have you been humbled, friends? Has there been a time in your life and more importantly in your heart when you've truly been humbled by the love and mercy and grace of God and you've, and you've truly taken hold upon the Lamb and you've been born again and, the, and that spirit, that river of grace is now flowing out of your heart and your life. Has there been such a time to humble thee, to prove thee, to prove that you are walking by faith, to know what was in thine heart? Faith is always exercised, yea, even through the fire of affliction. Well, in closing, let me just say that it is recorded in Numbers 20, some 40 years later, this time in the desert of Zin, the children of Israel are said to have chode, with all these words, smitten and uh, chode with Moses yet again. It's a repeat, really, of Exodus 17, 40 years later. And this time Moses was instructed to simply speak to the rock. He was no longer to strike it, because remember, that work had been done. Christ, it was a type, it pointed to Christ. That work of a Christ being struck by God the Father to satisfy the divine justice of God who hates sin, who can never allow sin into heaven and must punish sin, that was dealt with, as it were, some 40 years earlier. It was a type as it were, that pointed to the Saviour. Sin has been dealt with. Believe in Christ. Trust in Him. Walk by faith. Now, no longer be an unbelieving people. Trust in His promises. Walk by faith now, as it were. Sin has been dealt with. Not one of your sins can be allowed into heaven. You must put your faith in and trust in Christ now. And some 40 years later, they are tested once again, as it were. It's a repeat and this time Moses was instructed to simply speak to the rock, and not to strike it as, a, as, as it were. However, Moses, we know, did he not? As a godly man, as the meekest man upon the planet at the time, he, he lost his temper, didn't he? He got angry, as it were, and he not only struck the rock, but he did so twice angrily and he spoke to God's covenanted people in anger as it were and thus he destroyed the type as it were and he misrepresented God in that moment he misrepresented the type as it were and for that he could not lead the children of Israel into the promised land as, as it were and so the rock had already been struck the finished work had been done the rock actually in Numbers and, he, and, in, and, and in the Hebrew refers to an elevated rock. It refers, it's a little bit different in the Hebrew, in Numbers. It refers to an a elevated rock, a vast, monumental rock, as it were, pointing plainly to Christ's exaltation. He is risen. He is upon his throne. He is settled 
Sin has been dealt with. He's been struck and now he's elevated. Look to your rock, as it were. Look to your great redeemer. Look to him, as, as it were. Well, perhaps just a few last words in closing. The meekest man upon the planet at the time sinned against God. He lost his temper, as it were. And nevertheless, those refreshing waters gushed forth from it once again. And how this should warn us against the conclusions that man's methods may be right if the Lord pleases to condescend at times and use them. Sometimes God will bless despite our failures. And dear friends, even as as Christians, be very careful about that. Moses' method was wrong. Notwithstanding, God still gave the blessing. And yes, beloved, we as Christians at times can let the Lord down. But if it pleases the Lord, he can use even our failures and the things we fall short in, he can even use them to point his wonderful grace to us. Amen. Amen. Feel free to contact us at Sovereign Grace Church in Tiverton. Email us at grace2seekers at gmail.com. That's grace2seekers at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can visit our website at www.sovereigngracereformedchurch.co.uk